Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Sam Farber. Welcome to another edition of the Hornets Hivecast, your Hornets podcast with all the notes, quotes, and daily buzz around your favorite NBA team. I'm Sam Farber, and it is a pleasure and a privilege to have you with us here once again on the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. We are postseason going player by player through the entire 2022-2023 Hornets ending day roster, and today we have come to Dennis Smith Jr., a one year minimum contract he got signed with the team basically on the precipice of the season it was before training camp but it wasn't really early in the summer it was kind of a a later signing but man did he have a big impact on the squad a real defensive stopper seemed to thrive coming home to his home state of North Carolina we're going to dissect his season in the NBA the 22-23 campaign with the Charlotte Hornets and we're also going to hear from the man himself Dennis Smith Jr. a little bit later on here in this podcast helping me break down his sixth season in the association. He's my producer on the Hornets Radio Network, as well as the producer of this fine podcast, Rob Longo. Rob, thanks so much for joining me again, and happy to be talking about Dennis Smith Jr. He's a guy who brings a lot of toughness and a real hard-nosed player uh, in the Charlotte Hornets locker room, but also someone that, when you, when you think about him and his contributions and how much it meant to him to be a part of this team, just makes you smile, and those are the kinds of players you always like to discuss. And those are the guys you root for, too, obviously. I mean, kind of want to, like you said, a last-second signing, was able to see what he's able to accomplish here in the NBA. I know he's a former lottery pick, former ninth overall pick, but, you know, had some rough years as of late. A lot of injuries in Portland. You know, didn't really see the floor in Detroit a whole lot during that COVID year either, but he was able to have a basically a resurgence in his season this past year. I know that there weren't really a ton of career highs, but he was able to really solidify his defensive game, and that defense turned into offense. I know the three-point shooting wasn't where I'm sure he wanted it to be, but he definitely made up for it in certainly other areas. I mean, I think you go back to that Golden State game here where he just completely locked down Steph Curry right at the end of regulation and didn't even let him get a shot off in games like that where he was just a very, very good defensive stopper. It's a shame that he had a couple of ankle injuries in there and missed some time, but I mean, what he was able to contribute out there on the floor was basically something that you can't replace. I mean, it's irreplaceable basically what he was able to do. So really great year for Dennis Smith Jr. I love the mentality that he brought to this team too and he was anything he was clearly an asset to a team that needed a little bit of a spark at times, and he certainly provided that. And the Hornets provided him a much-needed opportunity. This was an important year. Dennis Smith Jr., by his own admission, was pretty close to being potentially out of the NBA. The previous two seasons prior to coming to Charlotte, he played in a grand total of 60 games for three different organizations, 13 total starts. Uh, He had seen a lot of his averages come way, way down from, obviously, his rookie year, where he was an all-rookie team selection, going 15 points per game as a full-time starter for Dallas, um, but he needed a spot where he could really reinvent himself and find his place in the NBA, and Charlotte was a perfect marriage. He ends up playing 54 games, the most since his rookie season, was a great role model for younger players, and it's a little bit hard to say, oh, this is some grizzled veteran. It's year six in the NBA. He's 25 years old, so he's still, a, by all means, a very young man. He'll still be 25 when next season begins, um, but still, he's got a lot of 
experience that he can bring to the table, and he's someone that's a true leader that players looked up to, and I think it worked wonders for him. I think he embraced his role, which was primarily to be coming off the bench as a defensive first type of player, team organizer who can certainly get to the rim and finish over just about anyone. He had plenty of those moments over the course of the season, but in an average game, the idea was he would come off the bench and he would bring a real defensive spark to the squad. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, injuries being the theme of the season, not only did the team have injuries that moved his role around quite a bit, but he had injuries himself that kept him shy of, say, 65 games, which is apparently the new threshold in the NBA, but still a significant season for him. Most importantly, I think he really did establish himself as one of the elite defensive players. I don't believe he made the number of games required to qualify for season leader status, but if he had, he would have been in the top 20 for steals per game, and he had a career high in steals per game personally at almost one and a half per contest. So really an overall very strong year here for Dennis Smith Jr. in his return to North Carolina, something which definitely brought him a lot of joy and brought the fans a lot of joy as well, seeing him come back to the state where he thrived in high school, was a star in college at NC State, and now had a solid season as a professional as well. We're going to let you hear from the man himself. Dennis Smith Jr. sits down with me after this quick break here on the Hornets Hivecast. One last time for the 22-23 season, we welcome Dennis Smith Jr. back here to the Hornets Hivecast. Dennis, thanks so much for joining us today and throughout the season. Your first back in North Carolina as a professional. Tell me now, looking back at it, what was the year like to you? Thanks for having me first, first and foremost. And um, I think the year was a blessing for me personally, you know, just from where I was at in the summertime and a lot of the other people's speculation about my career and, and where I was at and where I was headed. You know, I just... I battled all that and was able to make have a productive season, so I'm thankful for it. It's a blessing. You talked about some of the, the outside chatter about where your career was headed and in some people's estimations, you know, that you were maybe teetering on a line. Do you feel you've now stabilized yourself in the NBA, not just as a, an active player, but as a productive player in a rotation for hopefully next season a winning team? I believe so. I believe so. I've had other coaches former coaches and, and other players come up to me and tell me, uh, you know, they salute what I've done and, you know, and that, that I've turned myself into a real winning player. So taking all that in is, is, you know, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for people to say, oh, he did this, like, and shout out to you. for I don't do it for that, but it's, it's, it feels good to – to hear people tell you, like, you know, congratulations. On top of finding a role as a defensive stopper, as a team leader, as someone who can be productive starting and coming off the bench, you had those moments, those explosive plays Mm -hmm. that reminded anyone who might have forgotten you were a lottery pick and you were one for a reason. Is there a favorite moment from this past season for you? Yeah, just uh, it probably ain't going to be what some people think. I would say it was our win versus Golden State. That win versus Golden State was major. You know, we was down a couple guys, and we had people just step up, play really big. I think P had 31 that game or something like that. And Gordon, he was playing well, too. It's, it was just a, a real team effort. And I know winning games like that, the, the way that we won the game, how we played, is exactly how Coach Cliff wanted to win games this season. So I would say that was the best moment. And then we beat we beat Golden State, and it was Steph homecoming. Steph, my dog, but it was, it was Steph homecoming, and we got a win, so that was major. Dennis Smith Jr. will attack. Gets all the way to the rim, up in the lane. It's good. Dennis Smith Jr. has tied it up. 107 apiece. 
there were a lot of games that start off with how you started your description of that game. We were down a couple of guys, mm-hmm. uh, basically the entire season, yourself included. The NBA has kind of sent this threshold that 65 games is what you need to be all NBA be trash. considered. <laughs> but go ahead. Why is it trash? I mean, even Dre, I seen Dre say it, Draymond, and he was just like, man, you're going to have guys that you, a lot of people don't think should be all NBA. And they're going to be like, well, this guy right here only plays 64 games. You know, which is still a fair share amount of games. He's gonna—he he only plays sixty-four games. He don't qualify. I think that kind of bogus. Where should the number be, or should there be a number? I—I'm not a president, so I, you know, I ain't got—I <laughs> ain't got to say so and all that. But I don't know, man. I think it's a way to do it because I bet you, if you look back, it's gonna be some people that made first team All NBA that didn't play sixty-five games, and they had every right to be on the first team. But if you ain't play sixty-five, you can't make even second or third. I think that's that's bogus. Well, for the sake of argument for this discussion, 65 games, what the NBA has said should be the threshold. Let's just say that that's enough games that the amount you're missing might not influence positioning in the standings as, as much as other injuries. You're accounting for some absence, but I would say for this season squad, if the top eight players in the rotation all had played 65 more games, the record probably would have been a lot different because you look back in the rearview mirror now and you see only one player did. So for Charlotte moving forward... Only one player played 65 games? Only one player played 65 or more games the entire season, Man. top to bottom. So yeah. if we fast forward the clock and say the, the entire roster was here... This past season will be here next season, yourself included, plus in all likelihood a top five draft pick. If everyone who's supposed to play in the eight-man rotation actually does play in 65 games, is that enough to put this franchise into the postseason? I think so. I think we will be a dangerous team. You know, we, we got we're somebody that teams got to look out for. Like, you ain't going to come in thinking, oh, it's Charlotte, boom, boom. We was down, like you said, we was down a lot of guys. And it was, it was a long stretch whenever we'll have our starting point guard mellow in and then I'll be out. Or vice versa, like whenever I came back, he was out. So it was just hard to build chemistry, and I think that's a big part of winning is, is team chemistry and everybody knowing each other out there. And we uh, we kind of lacked that all year due to injuries, bad luck. It is what it is, but you give us a full, healthy team, I think we could compete with anybody, and that's that's just me being real. What else needs to happen for this franchise on top of better health to get to the next step? Everybody got to take this summer serious. Like Coach say, he um, – that's where a lot of guys end up having a good season when they have a really good summer. And I believe that, too. You know, that's where you work harder in the summer. You make your summers extra hard so then the, the season be a little easier than that. Everybody got to take this summer serious and really grow, um, develop, and some things you got to change. And if we do that and then we come back together uh, in training camp or whatever and we really just – we focused on winning games. You know, it's, it's bigger than me. I'm not bigger than anything going on here. Like, I'm trying to win basketball games. I think that'll really propel us to possibly being in the postseason. For you, do you have greater clarity on where you want that improvement to come based off what you were able to accomplish this season, what your role was when you and the team were at your best over mm-hmm. the course of the season? And, and if so, what is that area that you want to grow in personally? I mean, just getting more consistent with the jumper, you know, for me personally, that, that's that's my main thing. Um, and, of course, I want to keep everything tight. My whole thing is I always want to be sound. Like, I always want to know what I'm doing. I always want to be able to lead because I like, I like to lead by example. I don't like just telling people, like, all right, like you go do this. You know what I'm saying? I like, look, this is what we're doing, and I, I'm going to show you. And so I, I feel like it's easier for people to kind of uh, rally behind somebody that's trying to lead like that. So, you know, I just want to stay on top of my game, man, and uh, – 
keep getting better, keep growing, and keep uh, being a better student and learning. I learn a lot every year. I say that I learn a lot every single season. So I just want to uh, remain humble and keep growing. What did you take away most from your time here in Shucks? I remember talking to coaches early in the season about the process of you you coming here. You were off of an active roster. You had, had left Portland. It was an injury-plagued season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were <clears throat> certainly disappointed that it, it didn't work out better, but the, the roster numbers created a situation where you'd come back home. I heard you were going through summer workouts and kind of coming out to open gyms and, mm-hmm. and working from there, and now – Again, re-solidifying your, your place in the league. What has it meant to you to accomplish that and to do it in your home state? It meant a lot, man. Two years in a row on training camp deals, you know, it's easy for somebody to be like, damn, this going on, I see X, Y, and Z doing this, I'm better than them. You know, that's always an easy thing to do. And uh, a lot of people end up just taking that role and then it, it, it never work out. It never work out. So you always got to gotta fight your ego. You know what I'm saying? You gotta gotta actually be humble. You know, you gotta operate in humility. You gotta fight your ego, man, and just be like, "That's what I gotta do. That's what I'm dealing with." And you gotta be willing to understand what's gonna come with all that. Thankfully, I was raised to to be one of the people that understand. Do it in my hometown, not my hometown, but my home state, where my family can come see me and, and and celebrate with me and all that. Just kids from the city who may not know if like if I can do this and they see me. In favor, walking around, and they come to my games and got get to be courtside and things like that is is major for me. Like I said, it's always bigger than me. Is there a favorite moment off the floor? Because as you mentioned, in addition to you know finding a, a spot, a role, a significant one on this team, being a leader for all the players here with the Charlotte Hornets, yep. you did get to do it at home. Was there a favorite moment for you off the floor? Favorite moment moment off the court? Hell yeah, Thanksgiving. Now I'm sitting here thinking about it. Thanksgiving, I had to spend that paper to get everybody out there. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot whenever I'm in Dallas and I got to get all my family to Dallas for Thanksgiving. But we make it happen if I'm in NY and I get to get all my family out there for Thanksgiving. It's hard to do, but we make it happen. So when I'm in Charlotte this time, I got some family in Atlanta. A three-hour drive, Fayetteville, 2.30, 2.40. They drive up. And my pop's birthday this year. So we just celebrated all that together. And it was easy, easy commute for everybody. Clearly, it will be an eventful offseason here for the Hornets and for yourself. You'll be a free agent. We're rooting for everyone to make as much money as they possibly can and have nothing but success moving forward. But what are some of your goals for this offseason in terms of you know what you want your, your destination to be and, and your hopes that either it's here in Charlotte or a role? What are you looking for for the next step of your career? This is something that I, this, I don't even know if I'm supposed to tell people this, but like, for me, my main thing going into free agency is not just about the money for me, to be honest. Like, I want to be in a situation where I could, I can play and, um, and contribute. I want to win games. You know what I'm saying? I want to win games. I'm from Terry Gardens, bro, Section 8. So I made enough money to live the rest of my life. Hella comfortable, you know. But, man, I want to win games. I want to compete, bro, and I I want to leave a legacy in the league. Like, I never was like, I'm going to join the NBA just so I can make money and take care of my people, you know. That's just a byproduct of what I envision. Like, I want to leave a legacy. I want to be the best. I want to win. And uh, that, you know, I, I still got – that's 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 what I got uh, appetite for. That's what my hunger is at. Like, I want to win games, man, and I want to compete and leave a legacy, bro. 
Well, we want that for you, too, and we'd love nothing more than for you to do it right here in Charlotte. However it goes, we're wishing you all the best and look forward to having you with us here once again, hopefully this fall, on the Hornets Ivecast. Thank you, Dennis. Appreciate you, man. Y'all have a good one. Back in a moment, Rob Longo rejoins us to have further discussions about Dennis Smith Jr.'s season with the Charlotte Hornets after this here on the Hornets Ivecast. Sam Farber and Rob Longo back here with you again on the Hornets Hivecast. Just had our sit-down conversation with Dennis Smith Jr. And a lot covered. Love the optimism he had about the Hornets roster for the future. Just getting healthier should obviously be more competitive. And he's a, a true believer there. But something I wanted to talk about is something that he was quick to jump on. And I think it'll be a good topic of conversation here is the, the 65 game threshold. He was very quick to say that's not the best way to determine who's all NBA who's MVP, uh, that you're you're setting this artificial number out there, and what happens if someone ends up playing in 64. I think that's fair. Personally, Rob, I like it from the standpoint that much like the play-in tournament has encouraged teams to work harder, longer, compete for more going through the finish line, not just if you're trying to get into the play-in at 9 or 10, but to stay out of the play-in by getting up to 6 or all, all the positions are worth more because of that. I think this will have a similar impact on players. I think as a player, you know, you do have some wiggle room in the schedule to say, all right, I'm going to do some load management type of stuff here and not play night two of a back-to-back if I'm a more veteran player or if I have an ankle sprain, N, one, not seven, like the Hornets players often had over the course of the season. If I have one, I can miss 15 games, make it back, still make All-NBA, but I can't do both, and I have to take into account that something might happen down the line, so players are going to play more often. Now, if teams get into the, you know, mucking up the waters here and start sitting guys without the players' consent, and that screws things up, that's a different thing. But I think from the players' perspective, this will encourage players to play more often, create further incentives for them to do so because there's so much money attached to being an all-NBA player. That was a really good disclaimer you put on the end of that, is you don't want the teams to get involved when there's bonuses and they're voluntarily... I mean, the Players Association will obviously get involved with that, I'm sure, but at the end of the day, 65 is a lot. I think when we did the math, when we were talking about this a couple weeks ago on the podcast, it was like, I want to say 79% of games or something like that, so it's a healthy amount. That's a healthy amount of games for sure. So, Well, just so, just so you have some numbers, I crunched some numbers. Oh, after of course you did. Of course I did. So, it, during the commercial break, I crunched these numbers. Only times the MVP of the NBA has not played in 65 or more games in the last 50 years. 1920, that's the COVID season, so obviously... They were down to what? They didn't play 65. Yeah, they played like 60 or something. Something like that. The 11-12 season, only 66 games were played. By the way, the MVP that year, LeBron James, he played in 62 games. So pretty close, even though uh, it was only one game over the artificial thresholds. He still almost would have made it. Uh, The 98-99 season, a lockout year, 50 games played. Obviously, no one's going to make MVP that year, 49 games. Only time an 82-game season has been played in the last 50 years, and the MVP didn't play 65 games. Bill Walton, 1977-78, Trailblazers that year finished with the best record in the NBA. And I still think George Gervin should have gotten it. He led the league in scoring that year, led San Antonio to a division title. Awesome, awesome team. Also, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was in his heyday then, and he was always the correct answer for who should be MVP at that point in time. But you got to go that far back to find a year where the MVP didn't play in 65 games. And all the season surrounding that one, it was 81 or 82, which is what we'd love to get back to, but is less likely. But that's just for some context here. 
Well, I think the other thing, too, is I don't think that this rule or this threshold is more so for the MVP conversation. I think it's more like all NBA. You can't really do it for all rookie teams, obviously. Maybe some all defensive teams and that sort of stuff. But, I mean, at the end of the day, 65 is a lot. And, again, you play these games to play them. I mean, you play 82 for a reason. So I don't have a problem with it one way or the other. I can understand why players might think a certain way. And, as we know, Draymond Green always has a opinion on everything and anything. So, you know, I respect everybody's opinion on it, obviously. I just don't know if you're if there's a right way or a wrong way. Only time's going to tell. I mean, there's been a lot of changes, in, especially in the NBA over the last couple of years. You're starting to see a lot of leagues change stuff up. Obviously, baseball was big this year, but even with the NBA, I mean, the playing tournament is fairly new. The in-season tournament that's been thrown around several times is going to be new. A lot of stuff is going to be changing, so I'm not going to poo-poo anything without trying it first, I, I think. So. I, I'm a fan of the 65-game thing. I think it creates the right kinds of incentives. I think it should work. By the way, I look back at that 77-78 season. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar also didn't play 65 games that year. So it should have been George Gervin, who played all 82 and led the league in scoring. He should have gotten it that year. Uh, last time, by the way, an NBA MVP played in at least 80 games. Russell Westbrook, 2017. He played in 81 for Oklahoma City. Let's go back to Dennis Smith Jr. here, who is the uh, topic of this podcast. And let's talk about what's next. He's 25, was obviously in a contract year, was a, a one-year, seems to have embraced his role, which is the important thing here, because I, he he is no longer at this stage, or I would say right now, he is not at this stage considered to be the everyday starting point guard. He can certainly plug in there and in the, under the right circumstances work well, but I think he's going to thrive coming off the bench and being that defensive stopper and then also helping run the show uh, when your starting point guard, LaMelo Ball, needs some time off. So the positive great influence in the locker room. He was outstanding there, an excellent defender, an excellent leader, and I think even if the team were fully healthy, Dennis Smith Jr. would have had a rotation spot come season's end. If you have everybody available for you, he's still likely in that top eight or nine guys. So he is clearly of value to this team. Those are all the positive reasons why he will be playing for someone next year and particularly for the Hornets, would have a lot of value coming here and playing for his home state once again. Just like this season was a crossroads for DSJ, I think this offseason is a huge one too because like he talked about, he said he's not really interested in the money. That's not a big factor. It's more about going to a winning team. So when you factor that in and you look at the season that he had and you got to figure out what's best for Dennis Smith Jr. Is it the role that he had here in Charlotte where he was able to thrive on the defensive end of the floor? Or is it something that he had similar to his rookie season in Dallas where he was taking a lot more shots, he was playing a lot more minutes, he was averaging more points? What is best for Dennis Smith Jr. in that sense, in terms of where you can plug him in and where you can play? I mean, if somebody wants to go out there and offer him a lot of money and have him be in a starting role, congratulations. That's awesome. Wish you nothing but the best. If we have him back in Charlotte as a sort of a reserved role, that's awesome too, especially after just that mentality that he brought to this team, that defensive bulldog mentality that he had. I mean, that was kind of the thing that I loved about Dennis Smith the most too. And I think after his comments after the Dallas series, what he said there, I mean, that made me want to run through a wall. And if it's making me want to run through a wall, I can't imagine what that mentality is like in the locker room too and what he's able to you know, say behind closed doors and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's been great to watch him you know even after the exit interview we had with him you know I said I loved watching you play this year and he really appreciated that and it's true I mean I'm not going to lie to somebody's face so you know what he was able to do especially on the defensive end of the floor I thought it was great I thought he kept the team in games 
especially when there were a ton of injuries. And we wish him nothing but the best, obviously, but we would certainly love to have him, or at least I would certainly love to have him back in Charlotte next season. I would, too. But I think the, the what he said about the money is not the main thing. I truly believe him, but it, it is a thing here. And the, the question I think is going to end up being, did he price himself out of the spot with Charlotte? Because, as you said, if someone's looking at him and what he contributed and saying, I want to pay more to have you with us, then that that puts the impetus on the Hornets to try and match that. Everyone should be making as much money as they possibly can. Dennis Smith Jr. has earned more money, I think, based off what he was able to do out there on the floor. And also, there's the comparison. If the Hornets are offering something that's exactly matched by a Milwaukee or a Golden State Warriors or you know a team that has been consistently competing for championships over the last handful of season will that allure of being able to go after a ring be more enticing than the opportunity to continue to play for his home state those are all things to factor in something else we're trying here over the these seconds because people tell me sometimes i'm too cheery and happy about everyone just to play devil's advocate can he remain a rotation player with the addition of potentially two first round picks to the hornets plus one of those being a high lottery selection and there's also room for other free agents to sign. I don't think that's as much of a concern because I think he's so unselfish of a player and he's so good of a competitor that he's not going to care who else is in the building. He's going to go out there and try and outwork him. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. He'll take his spot and fill his role and, and be that veteran the team needs him to be. So that one's not as much of a concern. One that might be more of a concern, he has struggled with his shot. He shot a career low 21% from three. There were games where teams would just not guard him out there. He could still jump over and blow by them even if they did that. But it is something to factor in in, in the modern game. So those are some of the, not negatives, the, the reasons to have pause before immediately saying, yes, bring him and every single person back and let's just trust that without injuries, this team will be in a much better place. There are other things to factor in to the equation, but I think the biggest one for him is a good one, and that is he had a good season and so he's going to be popular in this offseason. If it's filling the exact same role he had with the Hornets, there are going to be other franchises that maybe have other ways to entice him, uh, that Charlotte maybe is going to struggle to match and if it's just on a raw dollar deal does Charlotte want to match there too but however it goes we're thrilled for Dennis he had a great year he is earned on this team or in the NBA and whoever he ends up with we're going to be rooting for him moving forward yeah and the other thing too is just the roster construction I mean you got five solid players in the backcourt right now that are obviously there's some free agents looming and that sort of stuff but you have LaMelo Ball Terry Rozier Tao out on Dennis Smith Jr. and James Booknight that's a lot of people for Kelly Oubre and Jr. Kelly too. Oubre is a swingman he can play the two as well so you know that's a lot of guys where you're trying to factor in a small amount of minutes for only two or three spots out there on the floor. I mean, Dennis can play different spots depending on if you want to go small, if you want to go big, whatever you want to do. But at the end of the day, I mean, there's just a lot of talent there for just so few positions. And that's what makes basketball so difficult because you only got five guys out there on the floor. You only got 15 spots, 17 if you include the two two-way guys, which the Hornets certainly needed this year. But at the end of the day, that's what happens when you see all of this young talent that comes out at 19 and 20 years old in the draft and then they're out of the league by two, three years. I mean, Tao Maldon was a great example, just kind of the Odd man out in Oklahoma City. He's only 21 years old. He's already on his second team. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of the NBA these days where you have these guys that have these staying power that are in the league for 
five, six, seven, maybe even ten years if you're lucky, and then you got guys that are knocking on the door right behind you trying to replace you. So, like DSJ said, it's going to be a very important offseason. Guys are going to have to work hard to get those minutes, and we'll just have to see what the chips fall in free agency and in training camp. There's no question he's going to be working hard, and, and again, we're rooting for him, uh, best for him and his family, and hopefully things align and we get to enjoy him a little bit more here on the Hornets Hivecast as well. Hope you are enjoying our run through the entire Hornets roster this season. We'll be back in two days' time with another player profile, player interview edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Till then, for Rob Longo, I'm Sam Farber saying it's been a pleasure and a privilege having you along. We will talk to you next time right here on the HHC. Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast, brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit Hornets.com.